All right, good morning. Uh, if anybody is in the sixth to eighth grade age range, there is going to be a once a month uh, Sunday school class uh, today. We, we do it every uh, third weekend of the month. So if you fall in that age range, feel free to go downstairs and get some age uh, specific instruction. So I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Bob McCoy last week. I actually got an email from him on Monday, and he said this. Uh, Please convey my thanks to the appropriate people for their warm reception of Joanne and me last Sunday. I am glad to have been of service, but even more so was ministered to by the love and care of your community. So I don't know what you guys did, but whatever, <laughs> whatever it was, it was good. So thanks for that. Um, thanks for making Bob feel welcome and ministered to. As most of you know, we've been in a series called Scenes in Acts, where we've been looking at some of the most dramatic moments in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church. And one of the reasons that I picked the book of Acts for our series is because of all that drama, and I've I've noticed that a lot of the dramatic moments are due to the fact that miraculous things are happening, right? Supernatural things are going on. And I think every passage that we've looked at so far, something supernatural has been happening. And that's where a lot of the drama is coming from. But the passage we're looking at today doesn't have anything supernatural happening in it. The drama comes from the most ordinary source of drama imaginable, uh, which is just an old-fashioned argument. Uh, So let's look at the story. It's a very short one. Uh, If you want to follow along in the Bible, open up to Acts chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 36. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." All right, so here's the phrase that I want us to focus in on, or the sentence I want us to focus in on. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And uh, that word for uh, sharp disagreement, in the Greek, it is the word, let's see if I can pronounce this, paroxysmus, paroxysmus. And it's, it's the same word that we get the English word paroxysm from which, if you look that up on dictionary.com, it says, a sudden attack or violent expression of a particular emotion or activity. Uh, If you were having a paroxysm and you wanted to express it with emojis, you might use emojis like these. Uh, If an argument is a paroxysm, it's the kind of argument where people are red in the face, they're yelling, they're throwing stuff. Uh, The neighbors probably know what's going on, and anybody within an earshot either wants to hide or eavesdrop, depending on their personality. And that is the kind of argument that Paul and Barnabas had. 
Now, you might be wondering, okay, of all the stories in Acts, like stories about healings and jailbreaks and mass conversions, all this inspiring stuff, why would we take a week to just focus on two apostles having an argument and over something as simple as who are they going to take on the trip with them? Why focus on the negative? Why do that? Well, I really believe this is a very important story for us to pay attention to because if we let it, this story reminds us of some very important things. And uh, this morning, I want to identify three of those things. So if you're taking notes, this is the first space in your outline. This, this story reminds us that the book of Acts isn't just made up. The book of Acts isn't just made up. You know, there are people who want to say that about the book of Acts. Because, as I already said, it's filled with all this supernatural stuff. And naturally, supernatural stuff is hard to believe in. That's... That's the nature of miracles, right? They don't happen very often. So when somebody claims that they happen, it's, it's hard to believe that they happen. And so it's tempting to look at the book of Acts for people in our modern skeptical age and just say, well, this is all just made up religious propaganda. You know, it's just propaganda designed to get people to follow a religious movement. But if, if this was just made up propaganda, why would it include a story about two of the movement's top leaders having an argument like this? Why would you put that in there if you were just making up propaganda? You know, if, if I were making up some religious propaganda, I would make my leaders all get along with each other because they're all supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, so they should all be on the same page. They should be one of, of one accord. They, it doesn't help my cause at all to talk about them fighting with each other, Right? And even if I wasn't trying to construct a false history, let's just imagine that uh, I was trying to construct a selective history of the early church, I, I wouldn't include this because it's not necessary. right? If the story just said Barnabas went one way and Paul went another way, well, that would be fine. I wouldn't be like, why'd they go separate directions? I just assumed they thought that was the best way to complete the mission or to, to follow through on the mission, so they went separate directions. This detail is completely unnecessary, and it's unflattering. So that leads me to think that the author of Acts isn't primarily concerned with uh, constructing a false history, right? The, the author of Acts is concerned about telling the truth, even if parts of the truth are unflattering. Uh, so, if you are someone who struggles to believe all this miraculous stuff in the book, book of Acts, which I understand, I sympathize with you, uh, I encourage you to keep in mind that there's stuff in the book of Acts like this, stuff that has no reason to be there unless it's true. So, when you're struggling with the miraculous stuff, try to keep in mind this stuff because it will, it will help to make it easier for you to, to swallow the, the stuff that's harder to believe. All right, the second thing this story reminds us of is that good people can disagree. Good people can disagree. We're going to stay here for a while. Now, when I say good people, those of you who are theologians, you know, don't, don't come at me with your, uh, nobody's good, nobody's good, okay? I understand that. I, what I'm saying is that as far as human beings go, right, Paul and Barnabas are relatively good people, right? Uh, Paul, probably the most influential Christian missionary in the history of the church, 
He was willing to withstand incredible persecution. Um, he, he wrote half the New Testament, right? This is a man of strong character, at least post-conversion. And then Barnabas, you might remember, Barnabas isn't his actual name. Uh, it was a nickname that was given to him, and it means son of encouragement. And that's because whenever anyone encountered Barnabas, after they talked with him, they always left feeling better than before they saw him. Because he was just that kind of person, super encouraging, uh, other-centered. He just made you feel good about yourself. People would talk about Barnabas and say, you know, oh, I love that guy. How can you not love that guy? That's the kind of person Barnabas was. So by human standards, Paul and Barnabas, they're good people. They're salt of the earth kind of people. And, and yet they still had a disagreement, right? And a, a, a paroxysm, a big disagreement. Now, I know this is surprising, but sometimes people disagree. And, and sometimes church people disagree. Sometimes church leaders disagree. But it's very important for us to remember that do, that doesn't mean that one person on one side of the argument is evil. Okay? It, it doesn't mean that one person isn't fit for service in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that one of those people is not actually on the same team. Because if people like Paul and Barnabas could have a big paroxysm, two men who were filled with the Holy Spirit, if anyone ever was, right, then any two people can have an argument. Now, what I want to do over the next few minutes, and if you're taking notes, this is kind of a subsection in your outline, is identify three reasons why relatively good people disagree. And what I'm going to be saying here, some of it is rooted in the scriptural text, and some of it is just me, I, I believe, applying common sense to that question. Okay. But I think it's important for us to talk about this. Why, why do relatively good people sometimes disagree, and sometimes disagree in a very heated way? Um, well, the first reason is so obvious that I don't know if I even need to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, is sin. Okay? The key word there is relatively good people. Right? Nobody's morally perfect. And that means all of us struggle with sin, which means all of us struggle with selfishness, all of us struggle with pride. And so relatively good people can't have their sin get the better of them, and that can result in conflict, right? Um, and so it's very important for us, if we find ourselves in a conflict, especially a conflict with another believer, to be honest with ourselves and ask, is there something about my pride, my sin, my selfishness that is making this conflict worse than it should be? Uh, it is very important for us to ask that because even if we are relatively good people, Holy Spirit-filled people, uh, we can still let our sin get the better of us, right? So that's number one. Second reason relatively good people disagree is because of differences in perception. Differences in perception. Um, you know, sometimes we fight with each other because of our sinful tendencies, but sometimes it's just because we see and experience the world differently. And it's so hard for us to understand how other people can't see it the same way that we do. And I, I'm happy I found a way to work this into the sermon. Um, 
This is a subject that I'm sure many of you know about, and some of you are probably tired of hearing about it at this point. But who here knows about the Yanni Laurel debate? Okay, raise your hand if you know about the Yanni Laurel debate. Okay, that's, that's a significant number of people. Okay, I'm glad not all of you have heard about it. That's, that's good. So for anyone who doesn't know what's going on, earlier this week, somebody posted on social media an audio clip of somebody saying a word. And when some people listen to this audio clip, they hear the word Yanny, which that's not really a word, but anyway. And some people hear Laurel. And uh, this is a clip from a vocabulary.com website, which is a website that has, that's supposed to show you how to pronounce words. Okay, so that's confusing. Um, but when people listen to this audio clip, they tend to hear one or the other. And you might be thinking, but Ryan, those two words don't sound anything alike. And I agree, they, they don't. They're the same number of syllables, but in, as far as I'm concerned, that's about all they have in common, right? Um, so actually, can we play this right now? Laurel, 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 Laurel. Laurel, Laurel. Okay. All right, so who here is Yanny? Wow. <laughs> who here is Laurel? Okay, wow. <laughs> so you're wrong. <laughs> That's so interesting that this church skews so far in that direction because everything I've read shows the population is pretty, pretty split down the middle. Uh, 50, 53%, the last poll I looked at, 53% was Laurel and 47 was Yanny. Um, all right, well, <laughs> I, I always hear Laurel. I heard Laurel on my poll. Okay. I always hear Laurel, and I've got to, I have listened to it at least 100 times this week, just over and over again. And even when I play with the frequencies, it still sounds like, like Laurel to me. And honestly, it blows my mind that anyone could hear a ya at the start of that or an e sound at the end of it. It just clearly sounds like Laurel. It's not even ambiguous to me. <laughs> Now, okay, if you hear Laurel, like me, the good news is that is actually the word that the website was trying to show how to pronounce, okay? So there's a chance, there's, a, there's, there's in a sense, you're, you're, you're correct. But if you hear Yanny, as almost all of you do, uh, it, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Uh, what, what's happening is that your brain is focusing on certain higher frequencies in the recording that are there because this particular re recording has frequencies in it beyond, anyway, I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> so now, now I, I thought after I, I couldn't hear Yanny after playing it over and over again, I was like, oh man, my hearing's damaged because I've been playing and music for the last 15 years and with loud drums behind me and that sort of thing. But I know that's not it, okay, because I had my dad listen to it and my dad is confirmed he has hearing loss. 
uh, and I even confirmed that again because I found a test online where you listen to high frequency sounds and I could hear them and my dad could not. But my dad always hears something that sounds like Yanny and I hear Laurel. So it's, it's not just about what frequencies you hear, it's about something that's going on in your brain. It's about how your brain processes sound, okay? And so what this fascinating example shows us is that our brains can receive the same input and yet perceive that input differently. Um, that's not through any fault of our own. That's just the way it is. And that can lead to arguments, right? Uh, and the Yanni-Laurel thing is a great example because when people say, I hear Yanni, there's a part of me that, if I'm honest, gets a little frustrated because I'm like, no, it's clearly Laurel. Like I said, it's not ambiguous. But I know for people who hear, hear Yanni, when I say it sounds like Laurel, they probably feel the same way. And whether we realize it or not, there's a lot of things in life that are like that. You know, um, Music, movies, conversations. We can have the same input, but our perception of those experiences can be very different. And so if we're going to avoid getting in nasty arguments with each other, Part of the key to doing that is having the patience to listen to one another and understand what other people are perceiving. Because if I don't take the time to do that, then I'm gonna just assume that all you Yanny people are lying to me or being willfully obtuse or just difficult, right? But of course you're not, you're, that's just what you're perceiving. And same with me, that is just what I'm perceiving. So, we gotta keep that in mind. And then finally, a third reason that relatively good people can disagree is because of different prioritization of values. And if I had to guess, this is what I think is the main factor in the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Probably some of their own sinfulness is at play here. And probably they have some differences in perception that are also affecting their, uh, their positions. But I really think the main issue here is this, this different prioritization of values. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. But before we get to that, I want to actually talk a little bit more about the conflict itself that they're having. So the source of the conflict is over whether or not to bring this guy named John, sometimes called Mark, I'll call him John Mark, whether or not to bring this guy, John Mark, on their missionary journey with them. And Barnabas wants to bring him. Paul does not think it's a good idea. And, uh, and the reason is because in the past, on a previous missionary journey, John Mark had been with them and he deserted them. He didn't stick with them. Now, we don't know exactly why he deserted them. We're not told. But I, I can think of two most likely reasons. Okay, the first one is we have good reason to believe that John Mark was young, very young. And so John Mark might have had this sort of romantic, idealistic vision of what going on this adventure would be like, this missionary adventure. And then he realized after a while, actually living in fear of being stoned and being put in jail isn't really a good time. And he got to a point where he just thought, I, I, I want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is that John Mark didn't agree with everything that Paul was teaching. Uh, John Mark was a Jew. And he might have taken issue with Paul's focus on the Gentiles, or he might have been upset that Paul was saying that the Gentile converts didn't have to follow the Jewish, uh, the Mosaic law. 
uh, that's possible. He might have been very offended by that, and he might have said, I, you know, that's a deal breaker for me, and, and left. So we don't know for sure, but whatever the reason John Mark deserted them in, in the past, what we know from this is that he wanted a second chance. He wanted a second chance to be on mission with Paul. So either he, he reached a point where he said, I've counted the cost, I realize how hard it is, but I still want to be part of this. Or he had reached a point where he, he said, you know, I agree with Paul now. I've changed my mind. The Gentiles, we shouldn't make it harder for them uh, to follow Jesus than we need to. Um, I'm on board. One of those things must have happened. But whatever the case, John Mark wanted that, that second chance. And Barnabas thought, let's give him the second chance. And Paul thought, oh, I'm not comfortable with that. And then they had a paroxysm. Now, I said, okay, the, I think the real problem here is different prioritization of values. That's why these relatively good, Holy Spirit-filled people are disagreeing. So I made this chart where we can identify the values that Barnabas and Paul have. So there's the question, should we take John Mark with us? Barnabas, yes. Paul, no. Okay, what are the values that are at play here? So if I had to identify, identify them, here's what I think is going on in Barnabas's mind. One is the value of grace, right? Which is part of the whole message of the gospel, right? You have made mistakes, you've messed up, but God doesn't count that against you. Through Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And closely related to that is the value of second chances, right? Barnabas, Mr. Encouragement, he doesn't want John Mark to feel like he's failed and he can never be part of the mission again. He wants to empower and equip him to have a second chance. Just like Jesus empowered and equipped Peter to have a second chance after he denied Jesus three times. Right? So the value of second chances. And then this third value is not immediately clear from the text, but love of family. Because we know from other places in uh, the New Testament that Barnabas uh, was actually first cousins with John Mark. They were related. And so you know how when you love your family, you stand up for them, you stick up for them. Um, you're more likely to give a pass to your family when they make mistakes than probably anybody else. And so Barnabas right here is demonstrating that love for his family. He's standing up for John Mark. Okay, now what about Paul? Well, some of the values that I can see motivating Paul's position, uh, he wants to have a team he can count on and trust. Right? That's important. They're not just going for a walk in the park. Right? They're doing really hard work. And Paul knows that he's going to have threats from external sources all the time. He doesn't need to have problems within his own crew, disagreements, serious disagreements over, over doctrine or just an inability to, to, to uh, follow through on, on, uh, on all the difficulties that they're going to face. So that's one of them. Second, uh, the value of protecting those who are young from responsibility that they're not ready for. You know, Paul might really have John Mark's best interests in mind here too. It is not loving or good to place a high burden of responsibility on somebody that's not ready for it yet. That's why we don't put third graders in a college classroom. You know, that's, that's not loving. Uh, also, the value of ensuring the spread of correct doctrine. The whole idea here is that they're spreading a message, the message of the gospel. And if the, the group that's going to do that can't agree on the core essentials of that message then that completely undermines the whole project, right? And again, we don't know absolutely for sure that, that uh, John Mark 
was uh, not on the same page in terms of doctrine. But if he was, this is really, you know, something that would be uh, a, a concern for Paul, is we need everybody to be on the same page. And then also the value of having high standards for leaders. Everyone in this group is going to be viewed as a leader uh, by the people that they're speaking to. And so it's very important that the people in the group have high standards of character and maturity. And if, if Paul is concerned that John Mark is, is not there, then that concern is really going to butt up against that value, right? All right, now, looking at all those values, are any of those values bad? Any of them? They're different. I, I'm pretty sure that none of us would say that any of those in itself is a bad value, right? Um, they're not bad values. And I think we can also be pretty sure that Barnabas's values are also values that Paul cares about. And Paul's values are values that Barnabas cares about. If you ask Barnabas, hey, do you care about having a reliable team and, and having correct doctrine? He'd be like, yeah, of course I care about that. And if you ask Paul, do you care about grace and second chances? He'd be like, well, you bet I do. I got a second chance. I was persecuting Christians before I was spreading the gospel. So the fact of the matter is these two men share the same values, but in this particular case, they're prioritizing different ones. And that's where the root of the conflict is coming from. And so they get upset with each other and they have a paroxysm. And the same thing, of course, happens to us in our lives. And in some cases, it is very clear which values really should get priority to anybody who is objectively looking at the situation. But in a lot of cases, maybe even most cases, it's not. And I don't think it's super clear in this conflict which values should be getting priority. Um, there is a case to be made on each side, right? And so... Okay, what this story reminds us, reminds us of is kind of a depressing fact, which is this. Even if we are all reasonable, even if we are all followers of Christ, even if we all have good values, there are still going to be times where we disagree and fight with each other. Let's pray. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a terrible ending. Okay. <coughs> Um, here's the thing. We're going to have times where we disagree. But that doesn't mean that our disagreements have to lead to paroxysms. Okay? It doesn't mean that we're fated to then start yelling at each other and throwing stuff and going separate ways. Uh, I believe that Paul and Barnabas could have handled this conflict better than they did. Uh, and so the question is, what is the key to doing that? Okay, how do we make it so that these inevitable conflicts don't result in paroxysms? Okay, I think the key to it is this. We have to take the time to try and understand which values are motivating the person that we're in conflict with. We have to take the time to do that. Because like I said, a lot of the time, but not all of the time, um, the values that are motivating the person are good values, good values that we share and that we can appreciate. 
You know, the next time you're in a conflict with somebody, I encourage you to sit down and make a chart like that one and ask yourself, okay, what are the values that are motivating me and what are the values that are motivating the person that I'm in conflict, conflict with? Because a lot of the time you will find that there's a lot of overlap in your values, even if you're disagreeing over which ones to prioritize. And that doesn't mean that the conflict is gonna go away, but when you do that, what it does is it creates empathy in your mind for the other person because you realize that you do have things in common and you can understand why they care about the things that they care about. And when you're able to do that, when you're able to have that empathy, it's a lot easier not to just yell at the other person. It's a lot easier not to have that devolve into a shouting match. Uh, and it's a lot easier not to split up. It's a lot easier to compromise. And it's even a lot easier for you to reach a point where you say, you know what, whether we get my way or your way, it'll be okay. Um, doesn't mean there won't be conflict, but the conflict will be easier to deal with. Finally, uh, one last thing that this story reminds us of is that God can use even our disagreements to further his goals. I actually hesitated to make this point because I didn't want any of us to think, oh, so that means I can just be a hothead and, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I can just get in arguments with people and split up and go in separate directions. It's all right because God's still going to use it. Um, that's not true. Like I said, I, I do think Paul and Barnabas could have handled this situation better, and I think God would have been more honored if they had handled it differently. But that said, it is definitely true, it is undeniable that something good came from this disagreement, because instead of just having one missionary crew, uh, we ended up with two. Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus, Paul took Silas and went to Syria and Cilicia. Um, so in the end, more people ended up hearing the gospel. Right? Uh, so even when we mess up, God still keeps using us, and he can even use our mess-ups uh, to further his, his purposes. But again, I, I do really want to be very clear about this. That doesn't mean that we should be just okay or indifferent about messing up in the first place. That doesn't mean we should be okay with having these paroxysms. It would have been a lot better, I think, and a lot more God-honoring if Paul and Barnabas had split through mutual agreement. You know, if they both said to each other, you know what, we're both pretty good at this, this missionary thing at this point. We're both experienced. We're both leaders. Maybe if we want to maximize our impact, we should each start building up our own teams and go into separate places, right? That, that would have been a much more God-honoring uh, story of how they went in separate directions. Um, but uh, the point is that even though they had a paroxysm, even though that was not ideal, God was still graceful enough to bring good things out of that. So if we have messed up, we should take some comfort in that. If we, if we have gotten in, in a fight with somebody, gone our separate directions, there is some comfort in this story uh, to be had. But I want to close by encouraging us, if we have had that kind of conflict with somebody, um, even if God has used that conflict to do something good, we should still make an effort to reconcile with the person uh, that we had the argument with. I mean, when you hear this story, aren't you hoping that it's not the end of Paul and Barnabas' relationship? 
after everything they've been through? Aren't you hoping that they got back together again? And one of them said, you know, I'm sorry, I, I really was hot-headed, you know. I'm sorry I couldn't see things from your perspective, you know. Sorry I left on such bad terms. Wouldn't that be a better end to the story than just they went their separate directions and that was it? I mean, I know I long to hear that they reconciled, and of course that would be better. Uh, and the same is true in our own lives. Our stories glorify God more when reconciliation is part of them. And here's the good news. We do have good reason to think that Paul and Barnabas reconciled because there are several places in the New Testament uh, that are part of events that happened after this where Paul speaks of Barnabas in a positive way as his fellow uh, apostle. And uh, my favorite evidence, actually, doesn't just mention Barnabas, but it mentions John Mark, too. The, the letter to the Colossians was written about 10 years after these events took place. And Paul is writing from jail, and this is what he writes to the Colossian church. He says, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So 10 years before this, Paul was saying, John Mark, no, he can't come with us. 10 years later, he's sitting in prison with John Mark by his side. And he's saying to the people he's writing to, hey, if you ever get to see John Mark, welcome him. He's a good guy. Right, so somewhere along the, along the way, Paul had this, this shift and how he felt about John Mark. And he came to really believe that he and Barnabas and John Mark were on the same team. And my hope and prayer is that we can experience that same kind of reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ, even if we've had a paroxysm. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we recognize that in this fallen state that we're in, uh, that conflict is inevitable. Um, but Lord, I pray that we would make every effort uh, to keep peace and to not allow conflict to lead to uh, anger and hatred. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, be mindful of our own sin. Help us to have the patience to uh, consider how uh, people may be perceiving things differently from us. And uh, Lord, help us to recognize that a lot of the time, uh, even if we're prioritizing values differently, uh, we really do share the same ones. I pray that you would uh, unite us together, Lord. Help us to remember uh, that, that unity is one of the most uh, powerful ways of demonstrating uh, the reality of you and your resurrection to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.